Welcome to New Mexico in Focus, the podcast edition. Today is Friday, June 18, 2021, and I am your host, Kevin McDonald, an executive producer here at New Mexico PBS. We hope you have managed to stay cool and avoid the heat this week. We know that it can have deadly consequences, and we know it just exacerbates the drought we've been talking about here on the show, not to mention air quality, just so many things tied up in that, and it's awful early for these temperatures, some records broken this week. That's where we're going to kick things off in this episode of the podcast, and we'll do that with our line opinion panel joining us this week, Dee uh, Dee Feldman, former state senator. Also, Inez Russell Gomez, the editorial page editor at the Santa Fe New Mexican. And we welcome back T.J. Trout, radio host for KKOB uh, Radio. Just a great panel and lots of great things to talk about here. And uh, one of the big things on the top of people's mind is the 4th of July coming up and fireworks, which will be a plenty. The governor actually came out this week encouraging municipalities to ban firework sales because of the heat and the ongoing drought. But as you will hear, maybe a little late in the process for that. But let's kick things off right now with the Line Opinion Panel and host Gene Grant. Scorching temps, poor air quality, and an outbreak of wildfires. New Mexico is an absolute tinderbox after days of record high temperatures and precious little precipitation. Now, meteorologists with the National Weather Service say this isn't going to be unusual. It's another new normal, as they say, and the impacts of climate change that could come with deadly consequences. Here to offer their thoughts and insights on it are all are this week's virtual line opinion panel. We thank them all for their time as they put into researching all of this week's topics. First up, former Senator Dee Philbin, who joins us from the wilds of rural New Mexico, where internet connections aren't always the most reliable or speedy. Glad to have you here, though. We're also going to be joined by Inez Russell Gomez, the editorial page editor at the Santa Fe New Mexican. And we welcome back radio host TJ Trout from KKOB Radio. Hello to you all. Now, we haven't mentioned the strain on our utilities and already dire water supplies, and it's only June. If this is what we can expect from here on out, Didi, what should we be thinking about in terms of staying safe and especially changing behaviors? Well, um, this is a prolonged drought. It's not a um, crisis that is going to go away. And uh, we need to change our water consumption, for one, uh, in terms of water conservation, um, because um, this year, for the first time, uh, farmers are actually being asked not to farm right. uh, because of the very poor um, snow melt-off. Uh, we, this, is, this is something that's been happening in the past couple of years. It's not just the heat and the dry he- dryness uh, now. It was the fact that we had a very poor snowpack. Uh, when it melted, it melted early. Uh, too early for the farmers to use it. Mm-hmm. And um, now we're in a situation where, you know, there have to be choices made between municipal usage, uh, even drinking water and um, water to grow our crops. Mm-hmm. So, so that's one. I think the city of Albuquerque has been pretty successful with water conservation measures. 
But the real water user in our state is agriculture. Mm -hmm. And uh, for years now, we've been trying to figure out how to do uh, water conservative irrigated agriculture rather than flood irrigation on crops that you know are less important than um, than food mm -hmm. uh, for humans. So uh, I think we do need to. We are working on it. Uh, but as far as cities go, I think, and I think Santa Fe is pretty good as well. Um, Albuquerque is good, uh, but we could get better. Mm -hmm. TJ, I got a question for you. July 4th is coming up real quick, and the governor has already made mention of uh, fireworks. We do this every yeah. summer season, there's no doubt. Um, you know, should the governor have that power on a statewide basis, or should lawmakers step up? You know, forget personal fireworks sales altogether. I mean, what's the right solution here? Well, the rest, you know, the solution is determined pretty much who's in political power, mm -hmm. you know, because uh, uh, who's ever in political power will make those decisions and say, yes, it is the right decision. Uh, but you got to look at this in, in, in the terms of common sense. I mean, as uh, Didi just said, you know, we, we have an historic drought in our hands. You know, we're, we're worried about uh, agricultural crops. We're worried about Elephant Butte not having any water in it. Mm -hmm. Look at Lake Mead right now. My God, what's going on up there? It's crazy. Right. So to your question, shouldn't com common sense should play a huge factor in this. If we're not getting any rain, if we got record setting temperatures, if anything can start a brush fire, if a backfire from a car can start a brush fire, someone throws out a uh, cigarette out of their, and this really bugs me, mm -hmm. when people throw their cigarettes out of their moving cars. Mm -hmm. uh, if that starts a fire, well, yes, what? <laughs> fireworks are going to start fires. Mm -hmm. So you would think that the government would be able to make that determination and say, look, this is very common sense. You're, you're, you're putting things on fire, throwing, blowing them up into the sky and they land somewhere. Yes. Yes. We should not have fireworks. I mean, it just makes sense. You know, interesting that you mentioned that. Inez, and I love fireworks. I, hey, we all love them. Absolutely. But Inez, in situations like this, I'm wondering if municipalities might be, you know, vulnerable if they don't ban them meaning you know if there's a provable fire somewhere that costs you know property and lives and there should have maybe should have been a fireworks ban how, how does that square with you know public safety versus letting people have their fun traditionally this is this is what we've been this is what we've been going through now for an entire pandemic mm -hmm. uh, i mean it's not what i talk about the fireworks deal we're talking about uh people being selfish and not thinking right. of the greater good. Mm -hmm. You know, they're thinking of themselves in a moment's pleasure or, 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 or finally digging their heels in on an issue uh, when they're but not it, thinking hey, of TJ, everybody else. It's a lot of money for these people that sell these fireworks. This is their one that. Christmas holiday all wrapped into one, you know what I mean? Inez, you know, there yeah. were, there, Inez, there were wildfires, as we know, burning all over. There was a Bosque fire in Los Lunas recently, yeah. and, you know, forecasters say this could be an extremely rough summer um, yeah. from the from the heel of the Santa Fe. So, Inez, you know, what else can the state be doing from a preventative measure uh, to keep these fire these fires down to a dull roar? The state has very little it can do because the fireworks lobby has crippled the bills that would have allowed the governor the power to ban fireworks. Mm -hmm. That's why her executive order suggested municipalities try to do it. But it turns out because the order came out around June 15th, you can only ban 20 days in advance of a holiday. And it's oh. too late if you haven't banned them already. Huh. 
you can it there's almost there's very little you can do and you ban the sales you ban the use and then you try to go around and catch the people who already got their fireworks or who ordered them online or whatever they do right there was a bill uh, i think by matthew mcqueen in 2019 that would have given the governor and actually he would have given the fire marshal that power let's say you don't like the governor you want to put it at a different level Mm -hmm. the fire marshal with appropriate data could have issued a ban and -hmm. it seems what tj says is absolutely right common sense we're burning up we don't need to make it worse and it just takes one spark yep you know i tried to do this in 2011 uh, in the wake of the lost conscious fire Uh and it's really the legislature to blame that we are not able to ban the sale of fireworks statewide during a time of extreme drought. As you said, Inez, the fire marshal is ready to step in here and regulate this, but it's, it's, a, it's a small special interest that is able to block this in the Senate in particular. Mm-hmm. And, you know, common sense, uh, I, I joined with Susana Martinez. There weren't too many things that Susana Martinez and I agreed on. But that was one of them, and we were an abject failure in the in the in the um, uh, prospect of two, just two or three, into, uh, small businesses in Roswell and Farmington who were able to capture one of the committees and block it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will say Georgia just did this. They they had fireworks that were illegal. And they legalized him, but part of the legalization was that the governor, using a drought index, it's not a subjective uh, decision. There's an actual index he looks at. When it gets to X, he can say, yes, we should ban right. them. So if a conservative Republican governor agrees to ban fireworks, it seems like that's something that should not be partisan that we could do here rather than put people's lives at risk and property. Mm-hmm. But it's us, too, though. You know, it's us. Yeah. I mean, it's not, I mean, we wouldn't have to do this. No, but everybody wants their fireworks. That's a good point. Yeah, if people were, were sensible, we wouldn't need laws. Yeah, they're getting around the law. They're buying them early. And I remember mm-hmm. a couple of years ago, we, uh, the, the first the first Fourth of July was back in Albuquerque from from moving back, and uh, you know there, I think there was a ban that year, and, at least in the city. And you know, driving down Montgomery, it, it was like incoming. That's the right. entire sky was That's lit right. up. Every single neighborhood was lit. How do you fight that? I had I yep. had to. Albuquerque Fire and Rescue on a couple of days before that, Gene, mm-hmm. and uh, the, you know, the, the, you know, they're, they're almost dull in the headlines when it comes to this. I feel so sorry for them because they, they have all, you know, how do you enforce the law? Right. You can't do That's it. There's right. so many people. There fireworks. are people. There are people blowing off fireworks now, getting ready for July Fourth in a couple of weeks. It's crazy. Well, another thing is tax them. Well, that's a good point. Taxes. Yeah, that's a tried and true way. You can drive people right out of business that way too. All right, new subject there. Have you found some creative ways to beat the heat this week? If so, we'd love to hear them. Just shoot us a line on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, and we'll share them with the rest of our audience. This week, the line panel also took up another hot topic, the cannabis industry. We're just days away from the Cannabis Regulation Act becoming law, uh, which will mean that cannabis is no longer illegal. That is June 29th. The date for that, there was a lot uh, in the news about planning and zoning for these businesses here in Albuquerque. And uh, we've got a lot of that for you available on our social media. Uh, earlier this week, host Gene Grant talked to some folks in the administration 
about what they wanted to see with planning and zoning. And then we actually streamed on Facebook all of the planning and zoning meeting, about six hours of it on Thursday afternoon, just yesterday. So if you're really interested in this, it is worth the listen. Go back and check that out. Again, Facebook and just search for New Mexico in Focus or NM in Focus. At the same time, there's been revelations to come out about potential conflicts of interest with our citizen legislators around this industry. During the debate, there was even discussion about lawmakers being banned from holding one of the business licenses. We've not seen any examples of this, but uh, Senator Katie Duhigg, who was one of the sponsors of the legislation, actually drew some eyebrows, raised eyebrows, when she recently announced she was starting a full-service law firm around cannabis. Again, this is not a new debate here in New Mexico with our citizen legislature, where you routinely have people who are voting on issues that affect their industry, uh, or even things like just educators who may be voting on pay raises that will affect their pocketbook. Um, There are disclosures and things that happen, but there's just a lot to dive into here, and who better to do it than our line panels? So let's head right back there. Here's Gene. Recreational cannabis becomes legal in New Mexico in just under two weeks. It's a brave new world as the state begins the unique process of building a brand new industry. Already there are concerns about conflicts of interest for lawmakers who will continue to make decisions about that industry. Namely, we recently learned of one of the sponsors of the Cannabis Legalization Act, Katie Duhigg, will be starting up a full-service cannabis law firm. Now, Ms. Duhigg says she wasn't thinking about the possibility when she sponsored the bill and that she will disclose any potential conflicts of interest in this area moving forward. But TJ, are these situations inevitable across many sectors as long as we cling to a citizen legislature? Are you, asking the, are you asking the dude that smokes a lot of weed? Is that what you're doing? Yes, I am. <laughs> first, is that why you're doing this? Yes. You're picking on me. No, <laughs> I'm kidding. Listen. Um, well, yeah. I mean, this is the thing that people don't like politicians mm-hmm. for. This is one of the reasons. Mm-hmm. And uh, if even if it even if there's a hint of corruption, that's where it's going to go. And I don't know what the law is right now. I don't know if this law was, if this was proposed or not. Can I, can I ask that, a question? Is, are, we, are we being a little heavy handed here with the corruption word? I'm not quite sure what she's proposing. Look, all right, okay, it's that level. Anyway, all right. as far as cannabis goes, mm-hmm. or, or anything else for that matter, right? I mean, should there be a time limit on legislators in New Mexico or anywhere else for that matter, mm-hmm. profiting from a law that they worked on, a cannabis law, for instance, or any other new law for that matter. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to be cannabis, it could be any other thing. Should the legislators be allowed to profit for that um, on that immediately? Or should there be a year wait, two years wait? Mm-hmm. What do you think? Let me kick that to the senator. Um, you know, we did have Stuart Engel propose and pass the lawmakers, the banning lawmaker from applying for a license until at least 2026. Does that, does that do anything, Ms. Feldman? Because there's lots of ways to get in the business if you want to without being one of these license holders, if you get my drift here. Well, uh, just let me address TJ's comment, mm-hmm. uh, and that is uh, there is a law uh, that uh, prohibits uh, lawmakers from profiting from a bill that they pass. It's in the Governmental Conduct Act. Mm-hmm. And um, 
it, but the but the bigger question is the smell test, which is what you were referring to, and the fact that if it doesn't smell right, people lose trust in government. And our system here, um, where we have a citizens' legislature, uh, that's conflict of interest is just baked into the system, regardless of whether it's cannabis or whether it's uh, oil and gas mm -hmm. or whether it's um, insurance, real estate, so many of the legislators are in those fields. And uh, it's accepted that they will vote on those issues when it does not um, profit them personally. Mm -hmm. And for the most part, they up uphold this. But, you know, they're on the honor system. Um, now we have an ethics commission. And I think now is the time that the ethics commission needs to weigh in on all of this and um, we need a constitutional amendment to, um, to allow legislators to be paid so this doesn't keep coming up mm -hmm. again and again and again. Mm -hmm. And the, the legislators can't legislate that themselves. Right. That's a conflict of interest right there. <laughs> yep. um, so uh, there has to be a constitutional amendment. And then I think the Ethics Commission is positioned to figure out um, you know, the X, Y, and Z of that matter. You know, just a, a point of fact um, for Inez Russell Gomez, you know this, but Senator Kendall Lowry and Speaker of the House Brian Egolf both have representative medical cannabis folks. And, you know, in the past they've made these conflicts known or they've sat out votes. You know what I mean? And, and, and that sits well for some folks, but it, are you in agreement with, with uh, Senator Feldman that it's got to be something beyond just an honor system here? So our position is that we should pay citizen legislators or we should pay legislators so that they are compensated fairly and the conflicts aren't as, as obvious and as frequent. Right. But beyond that, if you have a legislature where you're basically working out of your own pocket and you get paid only a per diem and mileage, it really limits who can be in the legislature. So if you're young and starting a family and right. you can't take time off work, but you're brilliant and have all sorts of policy ideas, wouldn't that be a great person to be in the legislature, but perhaps they can't afford it. So you have, you end up having a legislature full of retired state employees, insurance, real estate defense attorneys. Um, and even sometimes, you know, people who work for LANL and all of those kinds of things. Mm. And there's conflicts, you know, the cannabis one is, is so obvious and, and new, mm -hmm. but there is a million conflicts every day. And I don't know that money and a salary will protect them from everything. In addition to the fact that you'd have to figure out, is it going to be a full-time legislature, a hybrid legislature, but people should be compensated for their work. And right now our New Mexico legislature is not compensated. Mm -hmm. So we start from that and then we can work out how to eliminate more conflicts. Mm -hmm. Well, the idea is, TJ, of paying uh, our legislators is not new, certainly. In fact, it comes up every year oh. in the Roundhouse. Uh, but sure. I'm curious if these revelations about conflicts of interest in the cannabis industry specifically might end up being a tipping point here. Because, again, the smell test, is, as Senator Feldman mentioned, may not sit too well with a lot of the public. Right. I'm, you know, the problem was... With mm -hmm. Issues like this and uh, so many other issues. And I, don't, I don't even think it's a gene. I don't think it's just cannabis. I mm -hmm. think if you, if you dig deeper into this, it's you know pretty much everything under the hey, sun. Hey, we have teachers in the legislature who are voting on teacher raises and right, voting right. on school budgets. Conflict of interest, exactly. maybe you know. With, mm -hmm. 
you know, we need full, I guess we need full disclosure. If you're in the state legislature, you need to let people know if you're going to be working or voting on a bill, where your interests lie. You may need to uh, 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 make, the, make that knowledge known before you even begin working on, on uh, whatever you're going to be working on. Just mm -hmm. let people know ahead of time, look, I'm involved in the oil and gas industry. I'm going to be working on this specific uh, uh, issue. Mm -hmm. Should I or should I not? Mm -hmm. yeah. kind of, Just let people of... know. Let people know. Mm -hmm. I mean, don't, don't try to hide it or don't even. I'm not saying you're hiding it on purpose. Just the even the illusion that you're hiding it is yeah. bad. Yeah. Senator, we just got a minute here, and I'm just curious. I got to flip this around just a little bit. What is honestly the matter with Ms. Duhigg getting into the private sector and trying to make a buck? I mean, honestly, is this, is it that bad that she should be disallowed from getting into the industry completely? No, but I think this is exactly what Inez was talking about. And that is, here you have three young lawyers, right? Mm -hmm. Katie Duhigg, Jacob Candelaria, and uh, Brian Egal. They're out to make a living mm -hmm. in addition to being legislators. And so uh, it's natural that these conflicts are going to come up. Um, of course, you know, um, it's different when um, you already have a client and you already, um, you know, are working in an industry and right. then you're asked right. to vote on it yep. um, rather than, um, you know, changing your business plan after that legislative session has ended. That's different than already uh, having a conflict going in. Um, so it's, it's, it's got to be changed. Disclosure is now required, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, it's not really uh, enforced uh, fully by the Secretary of State. It needs to be, uh, it needs to be um, much fuller. And even the perception, here's what we're talking about here, the perception is uh, what's important here. So, you know, unfortunately, elected officials have to hold themselves to a higher standard. Yep. It's not fair, yep. um, but um, comes with the territory too. I bet. Yep. That's all the time we have right now on this topic, but there is still plenty more to talk about when it comes to the cannabis industry. This week, I had a chance to talk with Albuquerque city leaders, city leaders about their struggle to come up with planning and zoning rules and regulations for cannabis businesses. You can see that full conversation on our Facebook page at NM in Focus. Who could forget one year ago? It was exactly that time this year when protests broke out here in downtown Old Town Albuquerque at the La Ornata uh, Sculpture Garden in front of the uh, Art Museum. Shots were fired by a counter-protester. A man was injured, and uh, within days, the city and the mayor had decided to pull part of the La Ornata sculpture, that of conquistador Don Juan de Oñate, down, and then to hear from the public, hold several meetings and discussions about what to do permanently with these problematic, troublesome uh, memorials, statues. At the same time, Santa Fe was dealing with a similar issue on the plaza with an obelisk uh, that was later torn down by protesters. Uh, the court system is working on all of that, but Santa Fe 
also going through a process to decide what to do next. In both cases, nothing has happened a year later, uh, except for possibly the fact that these are open wounds that continue to lead to problems. Uh, In Santa Fe, we've seen what's left of the obelisk, the base being repeatedly vandalized, Um, people still very upset about all this. And so wanted to have the discussion about how long is too long to come up with what are difficult solutions. There's no question about that. Also weighing over all of this are mayoral elections in both of those cities. So is that coincidence or is it just trying to take the appropriate time to come up with the right solution? You can be the judge. We know the line opinion panelists have opinions on it. Let's hear from them now. It's been a year since a protest at the La Jornada sculpture in Old Town Albuquerque turned violent. A counter-protester shot a man. The public and politicians alike criticized Albuquerque police for their handling of the situation. And the city removed a statue of conquistador Don Juan Añate from the installation. The city held public hearings on what to do about statues that cover culturally sensitive issues in histories, but so far, there is no resolution. And according to Albuquerque City Council President Cynthia Borrego, the topic won't even be addressed again until September. Now, that this isn't just an Albuquerque issue, though. Santa Fe is dealing with a similar situation surrounding the controversial obelisk in the plaza, which, as you know, was toppled by protesters last October. The remains of that monument are, it seems, routinely vandalized as leaders continue to debate its future. And Inez, is that even more probable with each day that passes without a decision by the city? What's been the delay in uh, here? What's going on? The delay, uh, the, the positive way to look at it is they're doing everything possible to create an inclusive process to make sure that whatever decision comes up uh, is resulted is a collective decision of the city. So they're just taking their time to set a, they call it the chart process, Mm -hmm. which is gonna be a community conversation where they discuss really not just the obelisk, but how the history of New Mexico is presented in a public way in Santa Fe, whether there are, you know, too many monuments to soldiers versus, you know, women or farmers or Hispanics versus Anglos versus Indians kind of thing. Just, are we telling our whole story? Mm So that takes a while. Uh, I personally, and have said so editorially at the paper, thinks it's I think that it's taken too long. Mm-hmm. In the obelisk, uh, in particular, we have said we said in October it's going to be an eyesore. It's going to be a wound. Do something in the short term to beautify it. Yeah. My last suggestion was just put a bunch of flowers over the box and call it a garden. Uh, that has not happened for whatever reason. And our latest twist uh, a few days ago. Uh, Union Protectiva, which is a severe critic of Mayor Alan Weber, despite it being a nonpartisan fraternal organization, um, has filed a lawsuit saying that his call to remove the obelisk emboldened the protesters and they were tearing it down basically at his command. And that violates certain laws that protect the plaza because it is a national historic site. Mm. So that just happened. Uh, a few days ago, and now we'll see where it takes us. Their solution 
for, is to forget the conversations, to forget anyone else in the city except for them. Their solution is to rebuild it as it was because anything less dishonors the veterans uh, to whom it was dedicated. It, dis it honors their Hispanic ancestors. And I've got to look, I might even have one that fought in those battles hmm. uh, at Valverde and the Civil War battles. And it's just, they want it back, period. And that's it. That's fascinating. So that's where we're at in Santa Fe right now. That's no decision on what to do, but a lawsuit that's attempting to make a decision happen. Interesting points there. Uh, TJ, Albuquerque city leaders, of course, are trying to gather information and uh, public input so far. You know, haven't heard much. Do you think that's really what's going on here? Has a decision been made that they're not tipping their hand on? Or how do you think this is going to go at, at, the, uh, at the museum where the, this whole controversy took place. A couple things here. Uh, number one, I think, uh, quite frankly, I think they're afraid right now. They're afraid to make a decision mm. because they don't know what decision to make. And they realize that any decision that they, that they make is going to uh, get grief from whichever side doesn't agree That's with true. it. So it, it's one of those hot and button, one of those hot button issues that I think, oh God, we really have to make a decision on this. Yes, you do. And eventually you will. But uh, just an, uh, Gina, an overall look at just this whole thing. I mean, we're going right now through a, through a period, obviously, of social reckoning, mm -hmm. uh, period of uh, just introspection about our history. And I, I don't have any solutions. I have no idea. Uh, I'm just observing all this. And the wheels are still turning. We don't know how this is going to go. Uh, Paul Andrew Hutt, who is the uh, UNM uh, history professor, I have him on the show every once in a while. Mm -hmm. Uh, we were having a discussion about Onyate uh, a couple of months ago. And, I, you know, it was just, I was reading the history of it. And uh, uh, I go, uh, uh, Paul, I mean, he was a bad dude. And he kind of chuckled. And he goes, well, TJ, you have to realize back then they were all bad dudes. All of them were bad dudes. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and, and he makes a point, makes a valid point. Um, all of our forefathers had skeletons in their closet. I mean, nobody was is a, is a is a perfect individual mm -hmm. and i think i think the, the young the younger people need to realize that this ain't a perfect world you know never was it never will be a perfect world you know they got to get used to it people make mistakes times change people get enlightened people evolve and so we, so we, <laughs> this is something that, that we're not even done looking at yet but you know, we will come up with kind of a resolution on this. We haven't come up with it yet, mm -hmm. and uh, we're going to have to go through some pain before we get out the other side of this. Mm -hmm. Senator, I have to say, we all you witnessed know. a year ago, you know, the dangers of letting these issues fester. You know, even if we can't get an answer or a solution, like these guys are saying in the near future, are cities dealing with these issues doing you know doing enough to keep the dialogue going on the underlying issues? I, I don't understand, e pandemic or no pandemic how the, the dialogue just fell so fallow in both Santa Fe and Albuquerque on these issues. You'd think this would be a, a very hot topic every week, every day since it happened. Well, it is a hot topic. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, social reckoning cannot be done on a schedule, but uh, there, a decision has to be made. I, I was reading about the Albuquerque process, mm -hmm. uh, which, which is called Race, History, and Healing Project. Uh, they had 10 facilitators. This has been going on for months, uh, but nothing has uh, been decided. So that's, uh, you know, where the rubber meets the road. And it's up now up to the city council. The buck stops there. Mm -hmm. uh, the mayor has uh, organized the process, but 
uh, the council doesn't want to deal with it for a couple more months and they the delay is at their own risk um, and because clearly they can see what happened in Santa Fe when uh, when there was a delay but I just want to mention um, TJ there's a new book out now uh, called uh, forget the Alamo I don't know whether you You've heard yeah. it or not, but we were all raised to remember the Alamo and Davy Crockett and John Wayne and Jim Bowie and all that stuff. Well, it turns out there uh, that, that a lot of that was a myth. And these were slave owners. Uh, and it was the Mexicans who were objecting to slavery uh, that they were defending. So it's, it's an entirely new take on that. But you know, for every time that somebody tries to bring up some of these the new this new research, uh, there's there are people that want to stomp it down. Uh, people you know that want to uh, forbid critical race theory from even being taught in the schools. Mm -hmm. So it's a real sticky wicket, and it's not going away anytime soon. Mm -hmm. No. Inez, uh, coincidentally, there are mayoral elections coming up in just a few months in both Albuquerque and Santa Fe, as you know. How much does that play into the lack of action on these controversial symbols, would you say? I actually am not sure it is the driving force in Santa Fe, only because when George Floyd was killed and the mayor stepped did I go? No, no, you're good. You're good. Go ahead. Oh, good. Mm -hmm. When the mayor uh, stepped up and said these statues should go, because he specifically singled out Don Diego de Vargas in Cathedral Park and the obelisk. And the obelisk, if everyone remembers, was uh, considered offensive by many Native people because it referred to the savage Indians who had fought in the Indian Wars. Mm -hmm. um, he delayed that summer because of the pandemic. So I think he's just a really thoughtful person who perhaps isn't recognizing that at this moment we need to act. And I think what the problem is, is the people involved think we have to decide for all time. You don't have to decide for all time. You have to do a few things to soothe hurt feelings and then get going and show that you're going to be deciding soon. Mm -hmm. And right now we haven't even named a facilitator, and I hate that word, to help move this chart process along. Right. So, I mean, we can't even pick a person to get folks in a room. Isn't that interesting? That's how bad we are right now. Yep. Dialogue, dialogue, dialogue. Let us know what you think about any of the topics we discussed this week. You can do that through our social media channels, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search for NM in Focus. And there's more on the obelisk in the plaza that came out of our warm-up session that we do every week with our line opinion panelists. Inez Russell Gomez actually breaking some news about a lawsuit filed about that obelisk that would basically go in the other direction and uh, asks the city to restore the obelisk as it was before it was torn down. So just a fascinating developing story there and I think points to the need to come up with a solution. Otherwise, people are going to come up with solutions for the city, uh, whether they like it or not. And that's just part of that warm-up session. We had lots of great thoughts from our opinion panelists there this week, and we want to bring that to you as well here on the podcast. You can always tune in, listen for that. We do it live on Facebook 
around 1045 every Thursday, but we try to bring it to you here on the podcast as well. So wrap things up with a little bit more from the line, some things we just didn't have time for on the broadcast version of the show tonight at 7 on New Mexico PBS. I'm Gene Grant here in the studios of New Mexico PBS with our line opinion panelists joining me on Zoom. Now, we're about to record this week's show, but before we do, we always like to warm up by taking a turn at other issues that are on our minds. Let me turn to this great panel here. Let me start with Inez Russell Gomez up in Santa Fe. Still hot up there. (laughs) No relief for Santa Fe compared to anywhere else. What's your one more thing this week? Well, we found out um, this morning that the Union Protectiva, which is the oldest Hispanic uh, fraternal organization in the country, at least that's how they build themselves, has filed a lawsuit against Mayor Alan Weber and the city of Santa Fe mm. in connection with the toppling of the obelisk. So they are saying that the city failed to protect a historic place in the city and didn't follow the rules as uh, it should have under the historic preservation guidelines. Mm-hmm. And they filed yesterday in district court in Santa Fe, and they're having a big to-do on the plaza today at 1.30. Um, people who are interested in politics and follow all the stories, I think will find it interesting that James Hallinan, who is the person who accused the governor of spilling ice water and then touching him inappropriately, is helping the group with the marketing. Wow. There's another political element in that Union Protectiva is not allowed to be for or against people in the mayoral race because they're a nonprofit. However, it's very clear they want to see Alan Weber leave and get him out, hmm. and they are doing everything they can within the law to do that. So, let me ask you a question: the suit itself, what are they? Is it for financial harm or? What, what are they, what's the end result they're looking for from the suit? They want the obelisk back. The Just, reparations in the suit are you must rebuild the obelisk. As it was previously? <laughs> as it was previously. Gotcha. Oh, yeah. Wow, that's fascinating. So 1.30 today uh, on the plaza, big meeting. Interesting. Yep. Do you know if anyone's going to have a live stream of that, Bunny Chance? I don't. I, I, I assume we will, but we're still not back, everybody, in the newsroom. Right. And if we don't have a live stream, we'll have something shortly thereafter, I'm sure. Okay, I'll check the Santa Fe New Mexican first and yeah. see what's going on there for sure. Interesting. So glad you brought that to our attention. Uh, Senator Didi Feldman, what's your one more thing this week? Well, um, the thing that I have is a sad thing, uh, and that is uh, the alarming number of pedestrian deaths that there are, that are happening in Albuquerque as a result of Uh, speeders. And uh, a woman was killed right outside my my house uh, in the North Valley uh, on on Indian School Road at the uh, ditch crossing there at Alameda Drain. And you know, in the valley, there are a lot of uh, people out uh, jogging, walking along the ditch, walking their dogs. Um, it's, It's become a very common thing. It always was, but during the pandemic, Uh, It's been really busy. And there are crossings um, of major arterials in Albuquerque. And unfortunately, the the roads are so wide uh, that they are just speedways for people. And when there's a curve or when there's, um, um, you know, the width makes people just go fast. And this has been a problem in our neighborhood for a number of years. And 
you know, the city is finally um, uh, catching on and trying to do this uh, road diet. They call it a road diet, wherein they try to calm the traffic by restriping the streets, narrowing the traffic to two lanes rather than these four lane speedways that we have all over town. Um, but for this poor woman, a 62 year old nurse from the Veterans Hospital who was just walking across the street along the ditch to get a cup of coffee at uh, a new coffee shop that we have uh, near uh, Rio Grande and uh, I-40, um, she, was, she was hit and killed. Uh, and it's been kind of traumatic for the whole neighborhood. Um, we've had a meeting with city officials about it. This is a problem that's not unique to the North Valley. Mm -hmm. um, although the ditch crossings are valley phenomenon. Uh, and there needs to be a lot of coordination in order to, to create crosswalks uh, where there aren't any right now. That's right. Um, so we're hoping that the, that the mayor's um, new program, the Vision Zero, which is envisions zero pedestrian fatalities uh, will will have some effect, but I'm sure it's going to be very controversial, uh, just as the red light cameras were controversial because it envisions uh, stationing uh, vans, uh, speed vans in various neighborhoods mm -hmm. uh, as uh, according to the need, and so uh, people will be. Uh, you know, their traffic will be monitored more closely. Mm -hmm. I'm very sad to hear that. As you know, you know, Dee we used to be neighbors. I used to live up that way, so I know exactly where you're talking about. That's a very heavily traveled crossing area, ditch to ditch to get across that road. And honestly, that part of Indian School from the Rotary to the roundabout, I should say, the, from the okay. roundabout to Rio Grande is an absolute yeah. 70 mile an hour speedway. speedway. Yes. It's insane. And, and yeah. please go ahead. Well, and, and the problem is, you know, with our, uh, our crime situation in Albuquerque, it's not a question of posting more police in that mm -hmm. area. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the mayor's idea is to use uh, cars and a technological solution rather than additional police protection, mm -hmm. which, uh, which, you know, we can't afford as a city right now. That's right. But um, it's, it's really sad. And I think it's, 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 it's kind of a pro uh, product of the pandemic. People are really eager to get out. They really want to go. They want to go fast. They want to go buy something. They want to get to where they're going. And um, it's, it's worse than usual. It is. There's, it, there's no other way to say it. it's not anecdotal. It's factual. It is worse than usual. I'm sorry to hear about that story for that woman and her family in the North Valley there uh, being killed like that. Ouch. I don't like it. I don't like it. Uh, TJ Trout. KKOB, I got a funny feeling you guys will be talking about red light cameras coming up here soon on your radio show. It's almost irresistible. Okay, <laughs> Say again? Right. All right, so do you want, you want something local? You want something re regional? What do you want? How about local? I like your local, local stuff. Of course you would say local, and I wanted to go regional. Okay, we, <laughs> we will go local then. I'm going to start with a plastic bag ban, mm -hmm. okay? Uh, that, that's July 1st, right? It goes yep. into effect July 1st. Yeah, because I've gotten a few whiners on the air who listen, and then even some whiners that work at the radio station. Uh, and look, my advice to them is just do it. Quit complaining. Uh -huh. 
it's a small ask when considering the harm that bags do to the environment. Now, especially on our coasts and in our waterways. I mean, the, the bags are the worst because they mm -hmm. fill with water, they become heavy, they clog water intakes, they kill fish and animals. And aesthetically, they look terrible. They look horrible. Mm -hmm. So uh, bottom, I always bottom line this. I ask myself the question, is the world a better place with or without them? I say without, so look. Right. Please, <laughs> do me a favor. Go get some reusable plastic bags. Use paper, okay? Yeah. And stores. Yeah. Either give them away or sell them to us back at cost. Just uh, make it simple for all of us, please. I, I gotta ask, though, I dude. I gotta ask. The local was yeah. so good. What did you have teed up for regional? Was it something? Yeah, go ahead and do oh, it, man. Regional? I was gonna go. I was gonna go after uh, the Maricopa County uh, boat audit. Oh, that crazy clown car of, of lunatics out there who are counting the votes, recounting and recounting and recounting. In a secret. And Democrats, Democrats, you need to pay attention to this. I talked to plenty of Democrats in the party, and you're laughing it off. Do not laugh this off. This is going somewhere, whether you like it or not. Did I but say there, yeah, was I a, there was a secret lair or something where these votes were taking, were being tallied, something, Montana or something? I didn't correct. In a cabin. In yeah. a cabin, right. This is getting very yeah. interesting. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, it's crazy. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they're, they're looking for, for they're looking for bamboo in the ballots. That's right, bamboo because paper. Because they think the Chinese stuffed the ballot boxes. Yeah. That's right. Give me a break. <laughs> We'll have to wrap it up on that note. I love TJ being here. Thanks for joining us. New Mexico in Focus airs Friday nights and Sunday mornings right here on New Mexico PBS. And we want to bring you a little more bonus material this weekend just because of the time-sensitive aspect of it. Uh, it was a big week with sort of, I think it caught a lot of us by surprise, uh, the national holiday that was declared for Juneteenth which celebrates uh, Freedom Day for slaves uh, here in the United States. Juneteenth is nothing new, but again, a national holiday now in place for that. Some people even getting the day off today after that announcement. Hope you were one of those. And even before that announcement was made, Albuquerque was doing Juneteenth up big this year, bigger than ever before and host Gene Grant wanted to find out all about what was planned here in Albuquerque this weekend, three day event. So, we wanted to bring this to you now in hopes that it will help you to decide when and if you can make it down to uh, downtown Albuquerque to take part. So, obviously, today pretty much wrapped up, but there's a full slate of stuff going on tomorrow and Sunday. So, wanted to share that with you as well before we go. Thank you, Kevin McDonald. Appreciate it. Hey, guys, June 19th, 2021. What an amazing time to be alive, especially if you are June 18th, I should say. Uh, 19th is tomorrow, very special date for us. But it's very special time for us here in the African-American community. A lot of things have happened. It is Juneteenth. The date itself, the 19th, of course, is tomorrow. But there's all kinds of things going on all weekend in Albuquerque, specifically on Civic Plaza. I'm very pleased to be joined by a couple of special guests, Teresa Carson. She's the CEO and president of the African-American Greater Albuquerque Chamber of Commerce. We'll talk about the chamber and its goals here in a quick second. And also at Civic Plaza right now is Nicole Rogers. She is the new African-American Community and Business Liaison 
with the city's Office of Equity and Inclusion. And we definitely want to talk about her role in that office as well. But right now, I, after so many years, Teresa, I'm telling you, this is so exciting. It just feels like Juneteenth has gone to a completely different level after like 10, 15 years of me, you know, hey, it's Juneteenth, here we go, what's happening this weekend? It's a whole new deal. And we have it federal really employees is. off today able to watch this in real time because they're home because of a brand new situation in Washington, DC. Anyway, Teresa, thank you. I wanna ask you the first question. Help folks out here, first of all, with Juneteenth, a brief history, what is it about? What are we celebrating? Because again, we can't make any assumptions that everybody knows what Juneteenth is about. Sure, so Juneteenth is really a celebration uh, and a commemoration of the emancipation of those that were enslaved. Uh, you know, uh, it was that uh, when President Lincoln had signed the Emancipation Proclamation in 1863, it wasn't until a, a little over two years after that that uh, that uh, uh, one of the majors uh, from the Union Army went to uh, was in Texas and then uh, actually shared with those that were enslaved that uh, the emancipation had happened and that slaves were free. And mm -hmm. so we have been celebrating uh, Juneteenth uh, and that happened in June uh, 19th timeframe. And that's where you get the name Juneteenth. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, so that celebration has been happening since 1866. So one of the oldest celebrations that we actually had. So that's mm -hmm. a little brief history. I encourage people to, to learn more about Juneteenth. And I think that's what this national holiday uh, will uh, provide an opportunity for individuals to actually do, uh, right. to learn more about Juneteenth and why we celebrate Juneteenth and why it's Freedom Day for those in the African-American community. Mm -hmm. well, well stated, well put. Hey, Nicole, down there at Civic Plaza, and you guys have vendors showing up literally like within an hour. So we appreciate you taking some time with us. What was the city's goal for this celebration? This is so far beyond any other Juneteenth I can think of that the city has committed to. What was what was the idea going into this weekend? Yeah, and actually this is this is just sponsored. One of the only one of the sponsors is, is the city. Mm -hmm. This is actually a community group. There's about 20 of us that have actually started planning since March, way before I even got this position. And so um, this position has really helped us get the resources from the city into the community for this event, which is really what's helped us elevate it to a whole nother level. Um, and really, I'm really proud of the group of people that have come together. It's been a truly collaborative uh, planning process. And, um, and really, the city has just helped us amplify that, which is really what I think my goal in this new role is to bring as many of the resources from the city to our community. Mm -hmm. And Juneteenth was the perfect opportunity since we were already planning um, to, to start there. Mm -hmm. um, and this hopefully is a start of something new for our community where we can actually access the full resources of the city. And when I say resources, I'm thinking of everything from jobs, contracts, programs, um, assistance, whatever is available, we need to make sure that our community is taking advantage of those. Mm -hmm. And so Juneteenth was the perfect way to start. Interesting. I really appreciate that. And Nicole, and I'm, Teresa, pick up on this in a second too. But Nicole, I, you know, when you look at the scale of this thing, 90 vendors, 
9-0. That would blow most people in Albuquerque away that there would be African-American-owned vendors to the count of 90 in our town, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's you know, and that's I think that's the wonderful thing about partnering with Teresa Carson is mm -hmm. that we're able to reach. Oh, you muted yourself there by accident. Nicole, there you go. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that way we're able to reach out through the collaboration and be able to reach more people. So over the entire weekend, yes, over 90 vendors will be here between Friday and Saturday and Sunday. Um, and we're really excited for folks to buy black this weekend. We tried to make everything free. So all everything that you guys, the community comes for is to purchase from these black owned artisans. We have business owners, food trucks, um, plus all the resources for, for our community, like rental assistance applications. Mm -hmm. We'll be able to actually, help, have, we have laptops coming, people from the state to actually help people apply and start their applications. Because that's a huge amount of funding that's out there for people right now. And most people I talk to in our, in our community really don't know how to access that. So that's one of the things I'm really excited about is meeting people where they are to connect them to those resources. I love that. Well said. And Jean, can I, can I add to that? Because the other thing too is right now, as we're hopefully prayerfully coming out of this pandemic, uh, it provides individuals with an opportunity to get to know who some of the Black businesses are mm -hmm. here within our community. Uh, but also we have resource individuals who we at the Chamber have partnered with like SBA, SBDC, uh, VBOC, that's also going to be there because uh, there's still you know opportunities for people who are interested who have that dream to actually start businesses and now is a great time to start thinking right. about that as we're coming off of this pandemic uh, understanding what that means getting the education and meeting with people as appropriate in order to be able to fulfill that dream uh, as it relates to black owned business interesting um, I'm gonna let you mute that for a quick second. Oh, you caught that phone. You're so good, Teresa. Well done there. <laughs> Sorry about um, that. Yeah, I like it. As president and CEO of the African-American Greater Albuquerque Chamber of Commerce, uh, touch on that for a quick sec. What's the membership look like these days? You know, what's the focus of the chamber right now? Is sure. there a greater goal you wanna to get to, which is of course beyond just this weekend? Sure. Tell us about that, if you would. Sure. So let me just start from the beginning. So we started this chamber in uh, in March of 2019. That's actually when we actually launched the chamber, uh, and so and we've been running strong ever since. Uh, our goal is really centered around developing economic uh, uh, empower economic opportunities within the African American business community. Mm -hmm. Of course, we're open to all businesses, and we have uh, members that are not African American. Mm -hmm. uh, but we really do try and focus on trying to help our African-American businesses with regards to startup, with regards to sustainability, as well as with regards to growth. And some of the things that we offer, Gene, is you know we help our businesses with regards to online advertising, marketing. Uh, we have networking events because we really do believe that we need to bring people together. Uh, we do. We have mentoring uh, for our businesses. Uh, we 
consult with regards to funding resources. And then we also be able to, we also have uh, uh, partners of which we work with for individuals who want to have access to capital. We do training, workshop, webinars. Uh, we do advocacy for our businesses. This is another way in us partnering like with Nicole and her group uh, with regards to Juneteenth as part of highlighting the fact that we do have uh, strong black businesses here within our community. And also we help them with regards to contracting. Mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, and contracting with the cities, contracting with the state, contracting with the federal government. And mm -hmm. so those are some of the things that we're doing. Our greater goal that you asked about yeah. is also with regards to you, as you see in our title of the organization of the chambers, Greater Albuquerque. Uh, we are looking forward to becoming a New Mexico chamber where we are also addressing uh, the needs of the African-American community or black community uh, within the whole entire state. And, mm -hmm. and I say that because of the fact, the other thing too that I always like to share is that we are aligned with the U.S. Black Chamber. Uh, and so, uh, so we do have those national resources that we have to drop on as well. Mm -hmm. Well done. It's got, I can imagine as, as time moves on, uh, the influence of the chamber is going to grow because, you know, it, these are serious numbers here we're starting to talk about that gets people's attention. Uh, Nicole, real quick, I, it's interesting, uh, as we were setting up, you gave us a little camera view of some of the area of the tent. The, I want, please describe both the Black Excellence Avenue and then the uh, Black Wall Street area, if you would, and what folks can expect to see in those places. Yeah, absolutely. We're excited about the themes of streets. And so Black Wall Street is really where you're going to find resources um, for elevating ourselves, which is our goal, right, together to a higher ground. Mm -hmm. So we're going to have folks there talking about Black home ownership. I looked at the numbers. I've only been in the city for seven weeks. I think this is the... Oh, wow. Yeah, seventh week. And my first, you know, my first goal was to read through data. I requested a ton of data. One of those was in the city of Albuquerque, how many homeowners are black? 8%. Only 8%. So that is one of the things that I know, you know, I'm fortunate enough to have parents who are financial planners and explain to us that the way to create generational wealth is to first buy a home. That is a major cornerstone of, of being able to build your financial wealth. And so we really want to push up home ownership. We want, we have, as Teresa mentioned, if your dream is to start a business, we have, um, you know, all of the different advocacy groups that are helping with that. Like she said, minority business development. We have the 1ABQ fund coming to talk about how to get access to that money with applications. And they're going to be able to talk to folks about it how they can apply for that. Um, and so it's Black Wall Street. The theme there is all about what we need to push each other to a higher ground uh, when it comes to Ujama cooperative like, you know, economics, which is, which is what we're weaving in this week. We have uh, Black is uh, really gonna be special. We have black artisans who make their own goods. We have an, Af on Saturday, we have an African dance troupe that's gonna be doing uh, drumming circles. We have, I mean, t-shirts for sale. We are gonna have, I mean, jewelry that people make. It's just, right. it's gonna be beautiful because it's gonna be all about black expression, black love, black joy, which yeah. we deserve and we need after the year that we've had. I love that. 
let's take it through. You, you make a good launching point. Now, this is a three-day celebration. And on the first day, I mean, today, this afternoon, things kick off right at four o'clock with a flag racing and a Black National Anthem and a fashion empowerment um, right at 430. I don't know if you guys have the schedule right in front of you there to talk through these things one by one. There's a lot of things, but it goes right through 10 o'clock. I mean, this is going to be a fun yes. evening. Yeah. And the Black, uh, the, the youth empowerment, uh, fashion empowerment is our youth. We have over 45 kids between the ages of 10 and 18 that are going to be, you know, they're working with Emmy award-winning fashion designer Kay Bobby Edgar, who's here um, working on a show and, and is donating his time. He's been rehearsing with the kids for the past three weeks, teaching them all about fashion empowerment and holding themselves, their greatness. And, you know, it's, that's going to be the highlight of the weekend. I'm really excited about that. That's pretty neat. I like that. Yeah, it's a full schedule tonight. And I would say, uh, I'm not going to click through. It says one, two, three, four, five. There's over 15 things that are going to be staged tonight. <laughs> I mean, that's an amazing circumstance. Um, while I get you on this, let's go through day two, equal amount, but things kick off at 12:30. So, what can folks expect on Saturday? And I'm I'm, a, I'm expecting that's going to be a big crowd as well. Yes, yeah, Saturday is probably our biggest day. The team is thinking now with the heat. What did we think? Why were we? What did, were we thinking when we said 12? <laughs> but we're, we're trying to manifest clouds. Yeah. So everybody listening and watching, help us manifest them over. <laughs> Too funny. Oh, you muted yourself again, Nicole. Our, our Kids Corner is going to be what's happening on Saturday. Okay. Kids Corner have a flight simulator coming for them. We have a, a, a Lieutenant Colonel Alex Carruthers has a flight, uh, a actual camp to teach kids how to fly. Mm. So he's bringing this flight simulator. We have Explora coming out from three to six with STEM kits and STEM activities. Um, we have a book drive that a young uh, black student collective organized for us. We have um, women's athletics from UNM and United are coming out to do dribbling. Um, the, the women's basketball is gonna do some dribbling drills. Mm -hmm. United's gonna do some soccer drills. So we have the splash pad going, so everybody should come with their bathing suits and some towels so you can cool off with a splash pad. Um, nice. Saturdays be really great for the kids. And then after dark, when the kids go home, then the party starts, right? Yeah. With all the performers, fun stuff we have till 10 o'clock tomorrow night. That's a long day, 1230 to 10. Hey, Teresa, on Sunday, things kick off at three. There's a soul food Sunday brunch. I love it. I love the theme. Take us through Sunday, if you would. This could be a big day. So I don't have the schedule in front of me. I apologize for that. So I'm going to let Nicole take you through Sunday. But one of the things I do want to share before Nicole takes you through Sunday, which Please. is also an amazing day because that's dedicated really to uh, part of our culture, which is the which is the religious piece. Yes. Um, but I also wanted to share that uh, uh, we didn't talk about Soul Food Alley. And so Soul Food mm -hmm. Alley is very important because uh, it is part of our celebration, which is the food piece. And so uh, we do have uh, several of our Black-owned um, uh, food trucks that will be there as well. And so, and that's going to be, they're going to be there uh, 
Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Nicole has done an amazing job with regards to helping us to make sure that we have these uh, Black-owned vendors that are available each day of the, uh, the uh, three-day event. Mm -hmm. You know, one of my favorite, the B. Brown uh, situation. I mean, come on now. There's some serious entertainment going on on Sunday as I'm looking at this schedule. Yeah. This is Nicole, you want to take them through Sunday? Yeah, Sunday is going to be really, really special. We actually, I don't know if it's on the, uh, the copy that you have, Gene, but we just an, um, announced that we have from the Voices of Fire Netflix show, uh, Patrick Riddick, a gospel artist who is a national, amazing gospel artist. We just found out he's been added to the lineup for Sunday. So uh, Sundays, it, it, like Teresa said, it's all about our spiritual wealth. It's all about, um, you know, giving thanks and fellowshipping together. Um, and we're going to end with a black, a strong black father's tribute, which I'm really excited about since it is Father's Day. Mm -hmm. uh, we are trying to smell the bit that there are no black fathers in our in our community because Thank we know you. that that's not true. Yep. So I'm really excited to see all the black dads come up to the stage, get their standing ovation. Right. Um, and I, we even have stand in dads. So I'm just I'm just super excited about that because we really need to re-educate our community that, and not just in the black, we know we have black fathers, right. it's just everybody else, this misconception that we don't have them. And that's just crazy. So we're, we're gonna show up on Sunday, show out and give some love to our strong black fathers. So there'll be several, several myths that we'll be dispelling during that time frame. Uh, uh, where can I find black owned businesses? As well as that is what Nicole was sharing about uh, father figures being in the African-American community. I can't thank you enough for bringing that out and, and making it a special part of the program. I'm, you know, I'm involved with at least three black fathers groups on Facebook it's amazing what folks don't realize what black men are doing to be family men and heads of family and just trying really hard whatever situation they happen to be in you can be strong and you can be a strong dad in whatever you happen to be in um here's my big question might there be a sighting over the weekend from one Queen Latifah who is in town right now filming and one Mr. Ludacris who was, there was a sighting even a couple of days ago. What do you guys think? Well, might she show up? Have you heard anything? Our team is trying. We have reached out. We have sent. We literally had a, a, one of our teammates go to the Netflix studio today. We nice. heard Ludacris is at Jackson Winks. We went over there. We're putting it out on social media. We're putting it out into the universe um, because that's, ha that's actually happening all over the country. Stars are getting involved in yeah. events near them. And so New Mexico should not be exempt from that. This is the place for movies and TV and shows. So they should show us some love because we're doing it big and we would love to have them out. So if you're listening, Queen Latifah, you can do a couple bars from UNITY. <laughs> <laughs> we we all, love it. <laughs> and, and also we do have another person who's gonna be there who's doing casting for a new movie that's coming to New Mexico. Uh, and so they will be looking for individuals to uh, participate and uh, be extras in this movie. And he will give an announcement about that at around five or six o'clock, correct, Nicole? Uh, there at June on Saturday. Uh, the film is entitled The Cleaning Lady. Okay. That sounds interesting too. Wow. What a program. This is amazing. Hey, before we finish, Nicole, I do want you to say a few words about your new gig as African-American 
community and business liaison with the city's office of equity and inclusion. I got to imagine you're super excited. You're seven weeks in to an office that has such a clear goal. What have you discovered in the, in the office so far? Tell us about the team, what you guys have been talking about, what you personally want to accomplish uh, while you're here as well. Sure. So, like I said, I'm seven weeks in. I'm in uh, my team is the Office of Equity and Inclusion, mm-hmm. and I have to say it's really an amazing, supportive team, which is 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 refreshing, okay. um, especially in planning all this. You know, working with the team to plan all of these things. Um, my boss Michelle Melendez was helping me push chairs today. I mean, we it's it's truly a supportive team. Mm-hmm. Um, what I'm excited about too is I'm sitting in our brainstorming tent that we're actually going to set up because part since we have so many people here, I really want to take the time to ask them what do they need um, uh-huh. from the city. I think I just re- reviewing the data. I think I have an idea, but I also want to make sure I'm on the right track. And my heart is everything that we do needs to be community driven and have community input from the beginning. And I don't think that we do that well yet at the city. Um, And I've been vocal about that, open about that. Yeah, and we need to meet the the people where they are and Mm -hmm. really don't roll out something and then ask for, you know, input, like get people on the beginning when we're starting to come up with plans. Um, and so that way, community really can help self-govern, you know, what happens in the city. And I know that's a new concept, like what? People can self-govern? Yeah, they can. <laughs> that's very true. Thank you. And that fits the theme of the weekend, too. There's no doubt on that. Hey, I want to thank you both. I, this has been tremendous. Teresa Carson, always good to talk to you. Always, always. And Nicole Rogers, welcome. I'm, I'm your great asset to the city, I can tell already. I love your enthusiasm for Albuquerque and wanting to roll your sleeves up and, and get after it. And, and it's going to pay off, believe me. So, so we well, folks, it's starting at four o'clock today, running right through the weekend. And Teresa, there is a website out there, isn't there, to let folks know uh, where, they can, where they can find information, if you'd be so kind. Yeah. Uh, Nicole, will you share with them what the website is? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Anybody can go to www.nmjuneteenth. Com. You can see the lineup. You can see the schedule of everything that's happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can even meet organizers. We have our t-shirt, our Juneteenth t-shirt that's available for sale online, which wow. was our partnership with Meow Wolf. Nice. Um, and so we're really excited about um, all of the things that we have to offer, but you can find out about that on www.nmjuneteenth.com. And we really want to see everyone come out and join us in all of these activities uh, because this is truly going to be a spectacular event. And thank you, Jean, so much for uh, for having us today to share this information about this wonderful event. Absolutely. And we'll be in touch about the chamber as things move along as well. So uh, stay close there. All right, guys, thank you very much. Again, tonight at 7 o'clock, our regular show, Channel 5.1, we get into some very interesting things as well. Not Juneteenth, but there's other things going on certainly around our state. And one of them, namely the heat, where Nicole's dealing with right now under that tent. So we'll see you at 7 o'clock for the show. Till then, get out to Civic Plaza. You know, you're going to have a great time. You don't have to be Black to celebrate Juneteenth. Come down and learn a little bit. You know what I mean? That's part of this as well. So. Ladies, thank you. I know you got to get busy. Vendors are showing up right now. <laughs> thank you thank all. Thank you. Bye. Thank time. you. Take care.
All right, that's it for this episode of New Mexico and Focus the Podcast. We still have a bunch of content from this week's show that we'll be bringing to you early next week, so I encourage you to tune in for that. Tons of breaking news of late around the PFAS uh, contamination around New Mexico military installations. About six of them identified so far. The big ones, Cannon Air Force Base and Holloman Air Force Base. Uh, and uh, there's lawsuits. There is testing that's going on. A lot to keep track of. That's why we started our Groundwater War project. There's a website that you can find all of the reporting from our very talented environmental reporter, Laura Paskis. Just search for Groundwater War or head to the NMPBS website and look under local productions and you can catch all of that. We'll have some interviews with the New Mexico Environment Secretary, James Kenney, also Cannon Air Force Base officials with uh, news of a pilot project that uh, they have just been awarded to look at ways to treat water for PFAS contamination on the base. That's coming your way. Plus, Melanie Stansberry, the newest member of the United States Congress. She was sworn in early this week, and we had the chance to catch up with her right before that happened to see uh, what she was looking forward to getting in there and tackling first. All that coming your way next uh, episode. And so until then, we hope you have a great weekend. Stay safe and stay healthy.